0: Mark 13, 3 through 13, this is what it says. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines there. But these, these are but the beginning of birth pains. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my namesake to bear witness before me. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And a father is child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you gathered us here. We know all things are according to the counsel of your perfect will. So everyone who's seated here this morning or everyone who's hearing my voice right now was intended to be here and was intended to hear these words. And I pray, Lord, that these words would have an effect on the heart of everyone who hears. I pray that it would be the effect of softening the heart. I pray that it would be the effect of, causing you to, um, causing your word to work in the heart to draw this person closer to yourself. Grant love and faith and obedience this morning, please, as a result of the preaching of the word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. After Jesus prophesied about the destruction of the temple, which we saw last week, which saw last week it happened in A.D. 70 under the Roman leader named Titus. Jesus now prophesies what his followers can expect to happen as that time draws closer. This chapter, which has been given the name the Olivet Discourse, why? Well, it was given on the Mount of Olives. It's all given in response to questions that these four followers of Jesus ask Jesus. So the rest of the chapter is just all him answering their question that they asked him in verse 4. Some people take these predictions of Jesus as future happenings. What I mean is future from even right now when you're hearing my voice. Of course, it was future for them hearing it. These things will happen to Christians before the second coming of Christ, no doubt. There will be persecutions of Christians until Jesus comes back. That's clear. We know that. That's been happening for thousands of years. Now, though persecutions have been happening and will keep on happening... I want to put emphasis on the fact that Jesus is speaking and responding to their question about when the destruction of the temple will take place and what is going to precede it for them. I want to explain the importance of handling the text rightly and letting it speak for itself. Okay, this is huge. I don't want any of us to have the tendency of taking a Pre-packaged, preconceived, presupposed view of the end times and trying to force it onto a text and make that text say what we want it to say in order to fit maybe a pre-packaged view, even that someone's fed to you. I want to be this type of person, and I'm trying to make you be this type of person as well. I want to go to the text. Read it rightly, observe it carefully, and then interpret it accordingly. Of course, then apply it accurately too. I want to try to be that kind of person that lets the Bible say what the Bible says and not try to make the Bible say something that I think it needs to say. I want to try to help you be that type of person too. It is my goal, it is my great responsibility as one of your leaders... To feed you truth, but I also would be doing you a great disservice if that's all I did. I want to try to help you learn how to feed yourself as well. I want to help you try to handle this book rightly and interpret it accordingly. So that's what I want to point out. That's why I'm going to be pointing out certain things in this text to try to teach you, look, take what the text says and then look for other places in Scripture and put those together but don't ever 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 take the text and force it into a system that someone else says, "Hey, this is a system. This is this is what you should believe." And now you need to force the text into it. No, 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 no. We understand truth by first getting into the weeds of the text. And that's what I want to help you do this morning. I want I'm trying to avoid the tendency of just taking a prepackaged end times view and making the text fit it. Like I just keep saying, I want to let the text speak for itself and let the text formulate our end times view. Why do I keep talking about end times, end times, end times? Well, because as we're going to get through this text, we're going to see that Jesus, almost in the same breath, as he's prophesying all these things that are going to happen to his followers during that time in the first century, then starts talking about his second coming. We're going to handle that later. The text today, we're going to walk through this first and make sure we understand what this means because this text builds and builds and builds. Jesus tells them about many things that will increase, many things that are going to increase as this time that he prophesied gets closer. What things are going to increase? He mentions four different things that are going to increase. What are they? Listen, deceptions will increase, he said. Political and natural Turmoil is going to increase. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. That's why I said political and natural. Because the wars and rumors of wars, that's done by people. Earthquakes and famines, that's natural of nature, of God, of course. Third thing, persecutions will increase, he says. And then also evangelism will increase. He talks about the gospel being spread over the world. All nations, he says. So, deceptions, political, natural turmoil, persecutions, and evangelism. All that's going to increase, Jesus says. He makes that clear in all of his predictions here. Throughout this sermon, I want to couple Jesus' predictions with fulfillments of these predictions in the New Testament. We get a lot of predictions here. I don't know if you noticed that. But he he said a lot of things are going to happen. He says, many are going to come in my name saying, I am he. They're going to lead many astray. He talks about also there's going to be earthquakes and famines. He says they will deliver you over to councils. You're going to be beaten. You're going to stand before governors. And the gospel must be preached through all, all the nations. Lots of predictions, right? I want to couple those predictions with text in the New Testament that I believe are the fulfillment of those predictions. And I don't just want to say that and say, trust me, I'm going to show you. So let's start with this. Let's start with verse 6 because, well, let's back up to verse 5. We covered verses 3 and 4 last week. I read them again because that's the context of Jesus answering their questions. The, the questions are found, really, in verses 3 and 4, essentially. The answers, verse 5 through the rest of the chapter. Jesus begins by saying to them, See that no one leads you astray. Why would he say that if it wasn't possible for them to be led astray? See that no one leads you astray. Basically, keep your eyes open. See to it that no one leads you astray. Be aware. It's, it's possible. Verse 6. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. Matthew interprets this because this is, like I said, this is called the Olivet Discourse. It's mentioned in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. They all mention the same Olivet Discourse. Matthew's is a bit more fuller. He adds a few more things that aren't mentioned here. Mark's is sort of called like the mini Olivet Discourse. It's a bit more compact. Instead of I am he... Matthew records, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. So some people are going to come and and say, I'm the Messiah. Jesus is predicting that. They're going to come and say, I am the Messiah and lead many astray. If someone comes and says, I'm the Christ, but he's really not the Christ, what do we call that type of person? an antichrist. This is a false Christ. This is someone who's trying to lead people astray by saying, I'm the Christ. Just to let you know, there's not one antichrist. We talk about antichrist and we think, oh, there's this this bad guy and he's just really bad news and he's going to come. And granted, the Bible does talk about the antichrist. It uses that article, a definite article, the. But look at 1 John 2.18. Jesus says, many are going to come in my name saying, I am he, I am the Christ. 1 John 2.18. This is what John wrote. Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. John himself says many people this is this has been happening we know about this many antichrists have already come he said jesus says many will come in my name john says we know many antichrist have come do you see that john wrote this many many years a few decades after jesus said this in mark 13 so was jesus right did many come in his name saying i'm the one according to john yes that happened what else the rest of verse 6 jesus says and they will lead many astray did that happen you know what's interesting the very next verse that john writes in 1 john says yes some were led astray look at this 1 john 2:19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they were not all of us. Not everyone who says, I'm a Christian, is actually a Christian. We know that. It was true in his day as well. There were some among them that ended up leaving them, ended up going away. He says, we know they weren't true God followers because they left. Had they been true God followers, they wouldn't have left. I've talked to people that says, I used to be a Christian, but then this and this and this, and I'm not a Christian anymore. And I said to one gentleman once, well, then you weren't actually a Christian then, were you? Because if you were truly a Christian, you would have stayed with Christ. If you were truly a Christ follower, you would have kept following Christ And he agreed with me. I was really shocked that he actually agreed with me. Um, Not many people agree with me when I'm trying to show them the error of their ways. Um, So those who are truly Christ's will remain with Christ. He makes that clear in the scriptures as well. So another fulfillment of Jesus's prediction happens here. Many were led astray. What else? Well, look at verse 7. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, notice not if, but when. Don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. At least one fulfillment of that would be the great Jewish wars. The great Jewish wars began in the year 66 AD. You've probably heard of them. It was the great Jewish wars. Part of that was the Romans coming against Jerusalem, like we heard last week, was part of that. So were there kingdoms and nations rising against one another? Absolutely, there were. In their lifetime, there were. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but this is just the beginning of birth pains, Jesus says. Now, why am I laboring all this before I go any further? Why am I laboring all this? In case, in case you thought I jumped into this a bit too quickly. Like, why is he, why is he saying all this again? I want to show you clearly what the scriptures are saying. Jesus is speaking to these men, saying, this is going to happen to you, meaning you're going to try to lead you astray. People are going to come and say to you, I'm the Christ. You will be delivered over. You're going to hear about this. You, 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 guys that I'm talking to, you ask me a question, I'm answering you. So I want to show you that it's very, very, very reasonable to believe that when Jesus is saying these things to them, saying they're going to be fulfilled, you're going to see them, that he's not lying. They really saw these things fulfilled. These things really happened to them. That's going to be important for us to see later on as well. But it's important for you to see this too, because you will... I have read, even this morning, as I was polishing everything up, I I, I pulled out one other resource and I thought, let me just see what he says about it. And sure enough, he saw almost all this as future. This pertains to the future he wouldn't only say that, of course, he would read the rest of the Bible too and say, yes, that they, they were persecuted, but, but this all pertains to a future event that's coming. Granted, I've told you before, I believe, yes, our Christians going to keep being persecuted? Absolutely. But what about this persecution that Jesus is referring to? This specific one? He's talking to the apostles, and it happened to the Apostles and other Christians of that day. You just need to see that. Don't make the text fit into some system that somebody's told you this is, this is the right one. Read the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. That, that's one main point I want to get home today as well. Let's keep going. There'll be earthquakes in various places, famines, but this is just the beginning, Jesus says. Were there earthquakes during that time? Did earthquakes happen during that time? Look at Matthew 27, and 51. This, an earthquake happened pretty soon after this, actually. This is just one. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yelled, uh, yielded rather, up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and rocks were split. There's one. Acts 16, 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is Paul and Silas on a mission trip. They get imprisoned. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. It doesn't even just say an earthquake. It says a great earthquake. So were there earthquakes? There were earthquakes. These are just two that's mentioned. And almost mentioned almost in passing. Because Matthew mentions the earth shaking and the rocks splitting. But the other ones don't. What about famines? He says there's also going to be famines. Were there famines during that day? Acts 11, 27 through 29. Acts 11, 27 through 29. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. We're going to talk about this world, this word "world" in just a second, okay? There was a famine over all the world? Really? The people in China went through a famine too? What about the aborigines in Australia? They were in a famine too? And the Eskimos as well? Really? Wow. Quite the famine. What about the people in Sudan? And in Yemen? What about the people in South America? A famine there as well? Really? The whole world? We're going to talk about that more in a second. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the... Disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. I think it's interesting there too. Just want to mention this. They heard about a big famine coming. And so they said, let's give. Instead of a famine's coming, well, let's hoard, 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 fear, fear, uncertainty, doubt, keep it off ourselves. They said, a famine's coming? Really? Well, let's make sure they have enough. Let's give to them. Let's be different from the world. When we hear about fear, uncertainty, and doubt, we don't hoard. We think about others, and we give. Because why? We have a God who can make bread fall out of the sky. Right? We give. So there were famines. Jesus said there would be earthquakes. Jesus said there would be famines. The New Testament shows us there were earthquakes, and there were famines. What else? Look at verse 9. Be on your guard. Okay, first of all, remember he said, don't be alarmed, and verse 7 is what he said. Don't be alarmed. Verse 9, be on your guard. Don't be alarmed, but be on your guard. Why? For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before me. Be on your guard for these things are going to happen. All right, let's break this down because he says quite a lot there. He says you will be delivered over to councils and beaten in synagogues. Did that happen? Did that happen to any of Jesus' followers? It actually happened to the T. I'm going to show you where the text says they were taken before councils. I'm going to show you also where it says they were beaten in the New Testament. It's just... It's almost like the Holy Spirit had them use certain words as they were recording these things to show direct fulfillments to what he says in the Olivet Discourse. I mean, the same words are used, and I think intentionally. Look at Acts 5, 27 through 29. We're going to first talk about them delivering you over to councils. He says that. Which, by the way, that word councils is actually, literally, the word for, like, Sanhedrins. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, they mean Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God. Rather than man. I love that response, don't you? I love that. We obey God rather than you. All right, that's them before a council. Jesus said, they're going to take you before councils. Here they are before a council. Next, he said, and you'll be beaten. Verses 40 and 41 of that same chapter, Acts chapter 5. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And watch this. (laughs) Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. We've talked about this before. I just love that portion of scripture. Here they are, aching backs, open wounds on their backs, bleeding, swollen, hurting. And they go away fist bumping, saying, we're counted worthy. Suffer for the name. They go away rejoicing, not being able to jump too high because their backs are hurting so bad, but they were happy. They said, yes, we suffered for his name. Granted, they didn't go out seeking this. Sure, you can go out seeking pain if you want to, but they didn't seek the pain. They sought to proclaim Jesus and were beaten because of it, and they said, yes. I love that. I love that. So again, more fulfillment of them before council, beaten. Jesus said this would happen, and it happened. What about before kings and governors? He specifically says kings and governors in the Olivet Discourse. Look at this. Acts 26, 28 through 31. And Agrippa, by the way, he's called King Agrippa in other texts. He's a king. Agrippa said to Paul, because Paul had just been sharing for a long time. He, he's put before these men. And what's Paul do, of course? Well, he gives, us, he gives a little mini sermon. He tries to, tries to convert these people. He's like, any opportunity he gets, he says, this shall become my pulpit. And he preaches. And so then King Agrippa says, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? He catches what he's doing. He's like, "In your little speech that you just made, are you trying to get are you trying to convert me?" Paul said, "Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might be such as I am, except from these chains." He's standing there in chains, and he says, "Of course I want you to be like me. I want all people to be a Christian and be just like me, well, except for these chains, of course." There's a little humor in there. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice. That's, the, that's either the king's daughter or the governor's daughter. I forget which one. And those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man's doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. So there he is. Okay, this text specifically says King Agrippa and the governor Paul was before the king and the governor. Did Jesus say that would happen? You will stand before governors and kings for my sake and bear witness before them. And what was Paul doing? Standing before a king and a governor and bearing witness of the name of Jesus Christ. Do you see this? It's just again and again and again. Jesus said this is going to happen, and then we have a record of it happening. Jesus said this is going to happen, a record of it happening. So, I'm saying, and I forgot to even mention this, but that's why I titled this message Future or Fulfilled? Is this future or is this fulfilled? And what I'm trying to persuade you of is what Jesus predicted, just like he predicted the destruction of the temple, and it was definitely fulfilled. No one argues that. I'm trying to show you in his very next breath, the other things he predicted were also fulfilled. In the first century. I don't believe this is future. I believe everything he's saying here, at least in these verses, was fulfilled in the first century as well. Again, will there still be persecutions? Are there still persecutions? Are people still stood up before important people and, have, and bear witness of Jesus? Of course they do. But this specifically, I believe, was fulfilled in the first century. But what about this next one, though? What about this next one? Verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Cohen, don't you dare say, Cohen, you were a missionary for crying out loud. How can you, don't you dare lump number 10 in with it's been fulfilled. All right. We have to talk about this one. Because... Let me throw a a monkey wrench in there even more. Whenever Matthew quotes this one, Matthew says in Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel must be first proclaimed throughout the whole world, he says. Okay, when you and I say world, we're thinking the whole planet, right? The whole sphere, all those continents... North America, Central and South America, Africa, Asia, Australia, Antarctica. When we say world, that's what you and I think, right? Yes, we do. That's where our brains go. Guess what? That's called a presupposition that you have. When you see the word world, you think the blue and green ball floating in space. That's what you think. Third planet from the sun. World. World. But is that what they meant when they said world? Is that what he meant here when he said the gospel must first go to all the nations, every single continent, every single country within those continents? Is that what he meant? Well, let's talk about that. (laughs) Colossians 1. Maybe you've never seen this. If you haven't, let me just shake you up a bit this morning. Colossians 1, 3 and 6. I'm reading 3 through 6, even though 6 is where the emphasis is going to be. I'm reading 3 through 6 because it's just like, it's one really long sentence and then one short sentence, so I want to give some context here. Actually, I believe it's just one long sentence. No, it's two. Really, Paul? The gospel in the first century went through the whole world? It's bearing fruit in the whole world? Wow. Man, those missionaries worked fast. They got all the way to Antarctica and Australia and New Zealand and the New Hebrides Islands and Belize and Cuba. Wow, they worked fast. It's bearing fruit in the whole world, he says. Let's go on. Verse 23, he's not done with this language. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. How did they do something in the first century and fulfill it that, that, that we're still trying to do through all of our missionary agencies? There's still unreached people groups. Have you heard of those? Unreached people groups? How are we still struggling with this? There's like, what, seven billion people on the planet now? Much less back then. Okay. Maybe he doesn't mean Planet. He definitely doesn't mean planet. What does he mean when he says world? The known world that they knew of at that time. That's what he means. Is that what Jesus meant as well? The gospel must first be proclaimed throughout all the world. Paul says it's gone throughout all the world. This could, you have to be careful here, I want to be careful here. This could be a fulfillment of what Jesus said there. Did Jesus mean planet, globe? Paul doesn't mean planet, globe, obviously. Could this also have been fulfilled when Jesus said the gospel must first go out to the known world that you guys know of Jerusalem, Judea, uttermost parts of the earth? That's a little bit of a harder one, isn't it? Not going to lie. That's a bit of a harder one. But there is some proof here. There are at least some texts that say, okay, maybe that part was fulfilled as well. Look at verses 11 through 13 now. Jesus is now done um, with some of the more specific predictions that have fulfillments, I believe, in the New Testament And he goes on to tell them, hey, this is what you can expect when you're arrested. This is what you can expect from your family as well. Look at verse 11. And when, not if, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you'll say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak with the Holy Spirit. I want to point something out here. Jesus is giving them great comfort. And we can draw this principle from it as well. The Lord is with us during these times. Notice the Lord doesn't leave him. He says, when you are captured, when you're arrested and taken before these people, don't worry about what you're going to say. It'll be given you. Why will it be given you? Because the Lord's with you. Do you realize that that Scenario is one of the greatest witnessing moments for the truth ever. When someone's under persecution and they don't throw away that conviction that they're standing for when they can and be set free, do you realize what a great witness it is for that truth? Christians being persecuted shows the authenticity of the gospel like few things can. Let me give you an illustration. Like for example, when it comes to more important and less important things, if money gets really tight for you, if you're trying to survive, you might sell off a few things in the house, right? We've all done this. Money's getting a little tight. We're like, well, we don't need this. We don't really need that. You know that thing in the closet that we never use? Let's, let's, get, let's get rid of that. You know that thing over there in the corner of the garage that i haven't used in a few years let's get rid of it so you start to get rid of those things that are not so important right well then if you if you keep struggling for food and and house and all those things then you go down to the next layer you say okay now we're going to have to get into some things that are they weren't part of the first sell off but still okay i don't actually need need that i guess i can sell that too and i don't like really need need that i sort of like to keep it but it's expendable as well. And then the layers keep going, right? Then it's, okay, we still don't have enough food. We're still not able to pay our bills. So now we have to give off even more. But then there's some things, aren't there? There's some things that you're just not gonna get rid of. You're gonna starve and keep those things. Like, I mean, it, it, it would be a really dark day for me to pull off this wedding band and sell it why? well because of what this represents this represents the covenant of love that I've made to my wife I've even got an inscription on the, on the inside of it and so it's, it's very special to me I mean because of what it represents there's just a few things that you hold on to no matter what right and that shows how special those things are to you getting the illustration here So when someone, upon pain of death, still doesn't renounce Christ, you see how important it shows Christ is to you? You say, you can actually take my life before I will renounce my Lord. And that is such a strong witness to the truth. In the pilgrim's progress, when Christian and faithful go into vanity Fair this big huge festival called Vanity Fair. Faithful is actually captured and martyred in Vanity Fair. And upon seeing that, someone in Vanity Fair witnesses that and comes to Christ and then starts following Christian as they go to the celestial city and his name is Hopeful. He's essentially birthed out of A martyr. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church you've heard. So them hearing these words from Jesus, that when you're captured, don't be afraid of what you're going to say. Don't be anxious about it. The Lord's with you. And he'll give you words to speak at that hour that'll be from, what's he say? The Holy Spirit. And those will be some of the most important words maybe you've ever spoken at that time. God will use them mightily. That's encouraging for them to hear this. Don't worry, the Lord's with you. He's going to speak through you. But look at this next, verses 12 and 13. And brother will deliver brother over to death. A father is child. Children will raise up against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated for all for my name's sake. What a contrast, right? What a contrast. If you get arrested, I'll be with you. Don't worry but even your own family will betray you. I never will, but even the closest ones to you, they just might, they just might betray you. R.C. Sproul told a story once when he was studying in Amsterdam. He was getting his doctorate in Amsterdam. He was coming back from the store and he had his groceries in his arms and there was a lady walking towards him. He was just being polite and said, hi, how are you? And he said, whoa, she lit up. And they started talking. She was an older lady. And they talked for, he said, a good 10 or 15 minutes. And then, have a good day, bye. And he went up in his apartment where the lady who owned all the apartments in that building said, why were you talking to her? And he said, well, she said hello, and I was just, I was saying hi back. And she said, that's the lady that during World War II gave information In order to save her own life, that meant so many of our sons were captured and killed. And nobody talks to her. We haven't forgotten what she did to save her own skin. Don't talk to that woman. It was decades later, and the hatred of betraying others to save your own skin, of course, was still there. It's a despicable thing to do that, is it not? Especially when it's your own family. And Jesus is saying to them, You're going to be hated so much that your own family will give you up. That's how bad it's going to be. Matthew tells why. Matthew adds this in Matthew 24 12 in the same narrative. And because lawlessness will increase and be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. That's why this is happening to them. But then he ends with this in verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. At that time, when persecution comes to you and me, because I said, we're still going to be persecuted, it's really not actually consistent with Scripture to think that God is going to protect his people, completely keep his people from persecution. This is not what we see in the scriptures. Actually, even Brian and uh, Crystal and I were talking about this yesterday with Amy. And Crystal brought this point up. She said, well, if you look at scripture, the Lord has let his people go through hard times and persecution. And I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Why? Because he's mean? No. Because this does two things. It shows, number one, who are his real true believers Number two, it shows the power of the Lord to give you the option to keep going, even upon fear of death or any type of pain. And it does the thing, too, where it shows everybody, wow, Jesus must be real because look what these people are going through. Why would they go through that if he wasn't real? Maybe I should consider Jesus. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Don't trust in your own persevering power to keep you through that, to deliver you through those times. Trust in future grace. As Seth pointed out, even the building of a temple is not to be, you don't trust your own strength to do that, to even put one brick upon another brick, he's saying, for God's holy efforts. So don't trust in your own efforts to get you through when there's a spiritual battle going on, when someone is threatening you with pain or with losing a job or with death, trust in the Lord during that time. The one who endures to the end will be saved. You're going to endure through the end through the Lord's help, not your own. Not your own. There will be future grace given to you during those times. Isn't that encouraging? There's more grace for you Grace you haven't experienced yet. Grace that comes during times of persecution. Like we studied William Wormbrand months ago, going through all that pain and torture and starvation that he went through. And he came out of it saying, there were times in my prison cell where I could feel the Lord's presence so close to me. He said, like I've never felt since then. Future grace. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So what do I want to point out from this, just a few things. I believe that these predictions were fulfilled in the first century when you understand them rightly, okay? That's going to help us for later on because there's more coming later. That's even weightier than this. But we have to have this as our backdrop before we go into that. But what we can take away from this is just like our brothers and sisters in this day underwent persecution and were sustained and were a great witness for the king because evangelism increased during that time, I want you to know too, you will very likely also be persecuted for being a Christian. Know this, the Lord is with you during those times because he loves you. If he loved you enough to take the punishment for your sins that you deserve when he died on the cross, he loves you enough to sustain you During your hard times as well, doesn't he? He's closer than even family. He says, family might just betray you. But I'll never I'll never leave you. Isn't that an encouraging word? Let's pray. Father, in this Olivet discourse, not all of it's easy, not all of it's easy to understand, and not all of it's easy to swallow, even. But we thank you that you help us by your spirit to still be fed by this word. We pray that your spirit would also encourage us to know that just as our brothers went through these things, we just might as well. You're going to be with us. You're going to use those times. You're going to continue to build your church through those times. Lord, you have a remnant here on planet Earth like you always have. For those of us who are in the faith, we thank you that we're in that remnant. Thank you that you've brought us in. Keep us in. In Christ's name.